Hello, this is James Urbaniak. I was driving up to our place in upstate New York, the area right around Narrowsburg. I had just turned right off 17 and onto the county road that led up to our place when I realized that what I had just seen, what I was certain I had just seen, was a dead mountain lion by the side of the road, a hundred yards or so before the turn. At first, of course, I'd taken it for a deer. After a while, you just stop seeing roadkill deer. Like you stop seeing the white lines or stop signs. They're sort of like tree stumps or leaf piles after you've seen enough of them. They're dead, reminders of life, but devoid of the gothic horror of death. This object I just passed on Route 17 had the same coloration, was roughly the same size, humped there in the brief flare of my high beams, but no. Even though by this time I'd already made the turn, the SUV giving a big dip over the change in pavement, although not a huge dip, the suspension on this thing is pretty forgiving of the road's imperfections, I realized I had to turn back. The impression I had took a few moments to shape itself, but once it had taken form, the picture I had was not that of the common, some might say pestilentially common, white-tailed deer, but that of a big cat. A very big cat. Could it be possible? My heart started beating faster, and I applied the brake. I owed it to myself, to my book club, to my friend Scott, who had been arguing with me just the week before about whether there were any resident populations of cougars east of the Mississippi. I hadn't been sure one way or the other. Scott just likes to argue. So it's sort of a thing for us. I take my part, he takes his. Seventeen, though, is a pretty big road, and turning around was not going to be a picnic. It's two lanes in each direction. And while I could easily turn around on the county road, well, not that easily, I guess, it's a big SUV and a narrow road right there, so I had to do a K-turn. The ditches on either side are deep. One time in the 70s, I remember, we all got stuck in my uncle's car along the same stretch of road. On our way to pick apples. It was a station wagon. I was lying in the back when the right front tire went over a rock the wrong way on the edge of the ditch and pulled the rest of the car with it. We didn't hit hard, but the bottom of the car was kind of balanced on the edge of this deep culvert, the rear end up in the air. And I slid up toward the upright middle bench seat and hit the top of my head. Cars were heavier then, I think, even if they're taller now. K-turn complete, facing perpendicular to Route 17, I had a choice. Park here on the corner of the county road, get out, then turn left and walk back along the dark shoulder of Route 17 to where I thought there might be a dead mountain lion, using my smartphone's flashlight app to see, or drive across through the demarcated crossover space in the concrete divider of the highway, then turn left back in the direction of New York City, and drive until I reached a turnaround point or an exit with clover leaves that I could loop around and then turn back and retrace my previous route coming up on the dead mountain lion again from the original direction but observantly, carefully, 
and pull to a stop on the shoulder and frame it in the SUV's lights, which are bluish. The second prospect seemed more pleasant to me. Though I had some pretty strong associations with the shadow I would cast over the body when I stepped into the beam of the lights to approach it, then tried to figure out the best position to take so as to A. Be safe from traffic approaching from the direction of New York City. B. Avoid casting a shadow on the corpse that would make it difficult to determine its species. And C. Not have those lights shining in my own eyes. It's just occurred to me that we were singing when my uncle's station wagon went off the road that time. One of our favorites. The song I used to love most was The Fox. My grandfather used to sing it to me, flipping in Ukrainian words sometimes. My uncle, his son, was leading us in it, my cousins and my sister and me, when he jerked the wheel a little too enthusiastically. On line were the fox. Grab the gray goose by the neck, slung the duck across his back. The night of the roadkill was the night of the geminid meteor shower, and I was trying to get up to the farmhouse before the weekend traffic started on Friday, and Lisa and the girls were going to meet me the next day, after I'd had time to make sure the lights were working, clear any deadfalls from the hurricane, turn on the furnace. So I was alone, and had time. No one was going to come down the county road behind me toward Route 17, not at this hour on a Thursday night in December. No one was in the car with me to tell me it had just been a deer, or to advise me on which plan seemed best for confirming its identity, or to tell me to wait until morning and see if it was still there, which was good, because for some reason I couldn't decide what to do and wanted to figure it out for myself. Coming back down here in the morning, nine miles down the decreasingly paved roads from the farmhouse, although I realized that coming back down those roads from the farmhouse would actually make them increasingly paved. I was thinking about where I was at the moment, and from that direction, the amount of pavement would be decreasing the further I went. Was out of the question. If it had been a deer, it would still be there, and not worth all this frittering. And if it had been a mountain lion, someone quicker on the draw or more decisive would probably have taken it away as a trophy. Which could also be the case with a roadkill deer, around here, depending on its condition and vintage. A fresh deer is good eating, as I'd all too unhappily found out one year on another family get-together at the upstate house. So coming back the next day would either yield a dead deer in the same spot, or an empty spot that could have held a deer or a mountain lion, but which, being empty, would hold nothing of value, not even a clue. It's not like I'd get a swatch of hair or a blood sample to have it tested. I might think I might like to do that. But I know I wouldn't, not with Lisa and the girls on their way up and chores to be done. I drove across the westbound lanes, through the gap in the divider, and turned left. Before he reached the town, oh, town, oh, town, oh, he had many a mile to go that night before he reached the town, oh. I've often assumed the fox is a metaphor, but I can never figure out for what. It's a pretty straightforward story about an anthropomorphized fox taking the kinds of risks that foxes take, and unless it's about some historical thief, it could just be about a fox stealing fowl from a farmer's pen and getting away with it. Nothing unusual about that. So anyway, we were sort of teetering on the lip of the culvert, and I was crying 
having hit my head, but my uncle figured it made sense to keep the song going. Like everything was just fine. I guess he was trying to minimize our fear and pain. My sister wasn't too upset, but my cousins were my age and younger, and my own crying was getting them upset. These memories and opinions were crowding in on me as I drove back in the direction of New York City with an idea to turn around at the next U-turn or cloverleaf and return in the direction of Binghamton and pull up to the dead thing on the shoulder and determine if it was in fact a mountain lion or just a deer. I was leaving that dead thing further behind me, going south. I could even see far ahead a pink glow hovering above the horizon, the lights of the more densely populated areas surrounding New York. There were malls and housing developments that way, and even cities, before you even got to New York. The U-turn came up really quickly. I had sort of expected a right-lane exit onto a cloverleaf, but when I saw a break in the divider with a little bit of a shoulder along the left lane leading up to it, I thought, what the heck? It was dark, and it was only a Thursday, and the next car was pretty far back. So I cut across that left lane and came up to the U-turn space, going a little faster than I would have liked. I made it, of course. I just had to brake a little harder than I wanted. And then maybe I was a little irritated with myself, and maybe I gunned a little too hard to make the turn, and I went a little further across the right lane on the northbound side and put my right wheels into the ditch over there and heard something heavy and metallic crunch underneath. And then I braked hard, and the car stopped. Of course, you're thinking I was stuck just like my uncle's car had been stuck years before, but you're wrong. That time we were balanced on the undercarriage, wobbling back and forth, the wheels not touching anything, and I was crying, as I've said. And my younger cousins were starting to get a little panicked. Apart from cursing a little at first, my uncle was sort of laughingly asking if we were all okay. But I was crying. So he sighed. I think. And then he started singing again. Only louder this time. That old mother flip-flopper jumped out of bed. Out of the window she cocked her head, crying, John, John, the gray goose is gone, and the fox is on the town. Oh. Whatever the car had hit when I went into the ditch had sounded very hard, very stone-like. It was a steep bank on the other side of the ditch. I suppose some of the rocks that made up the bank might have fallen down into the ditch and hit hard against an axle or one of the pieces where the wheel joins the axle. I put on the hazards. Here's the thing. I don't like to forget stuff. The mountain line up there in front of me, I have to confess, made me a little nervous. I was a little shaken by the whole thing. Of course I was. I'd just been trying to get away from the city for a weekend with my family, for Christ's sake, and what the hell, you know, there's a dead mountain lion? That means there are live mountain lions within nine miles of my country house. Or at least there was. One. My uncle's singing comes back to me again, how he tried to keep our spirits up, and he was singing louder and louder the whole story, the daring fox running away from the hunt, John running up the hill blowing his horn. Maybe it's a passive-aggressive song. It's like that song, Worried Man. Hungry babies don't understand. Papa is a worried man. Men sing it to their kids, or to their nephew and niece, to tell them they have no idea what you go through to provide for them. How you try to keep the mountain lions at bay. 
When he gets home, the poor fox has ten children, yes, ten. Say, Daddy, better go back again, cause it must be a mighty fine town. No, they don't know. Like I said, I don't like to forget things. Like I said, seeing that thing, that dead thing, and turning around on that county road off 17 made me remember that time in my uncle's car. Now I'm wondering about that song. Why were we singing that song that time? I'm pretty sure it's a mountain lion. Was a mountain lion, I mean. Look, I'm doing this podcast for my car. You can probably tell. The audio is for shitting here, for starters. My uncle was probably just singing that song because he liked it. And he was trying to soothe us. Full disclosure, this all just happened. The mountain lion. The U-turn. I just don't want to forget it. The thing about my uncle, I mean. I'm facing away from New York now, toward Binghamton, toward my country place, toward that mountain line, or whatever it is. I really want to know. But I think I might have broken an axle. When I say this all just happened, I don't mean the teetering on the edge of the ditch thing. That was years ago. The sitting on the shoulder with maybe a broken axle, wondering how many hours till Lisa and the kids come by and see me sitting here, that just happened. Is still happening. Do you want to know how that other thing worked itself out? My uncle got out of the car, and his weight had been holding the front end down. When he got out, the back end just settled down onto the road until the tires touched. Then he made everyone else climb in the way back with me, and then he took some stones out of the ditch, and he put them in the back with us, where I'd stop crying. And of course, it was a rear-wheel drive car, that station wagon, and once he had the rear end sufficiently weighted so he could get traction, he got back in and just backed us off the lip of the ditch. I'm going to walk up there. It's only a mile or so. Probably a deer, now that I think about it. Okay, here we go. Fox went out on a chilly night. He prayed for the moon for to give him light. Get many a mile to go that night. Fox went out on a chilly night, prayed for the moon for to give him light, for he had many a mile to go that night before he reached the town, oh, the town, oh, the town, oh, he had many a mile to go that night before he reached the town, oh. Getting on with James Urbaniak, episode 10, The Dead Thing on the Shoulder, was written by Bill Brain and produced and performed by James Urbaniak. This program is part of the Feral Audio Network. Visit feralaudio.com for prior episodes and other podcasts. He grabbed the gray goose by the neck, rode a duck across his back. He didn't mind that quack, 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 and the legs all dangling down, oh, down, oh.